0: Yesterday, we began looking at the latter part of the second chapter of the book of Hebrews. We saw how Jesus Christ, who is fully God and completely divine, is so much greater than us in his divinity. He is so far above man that he is categorically other than man. In fact, we saw that He is in a category by himself. We began to look at the majesty and glory of God. We began to see how high in the heavens he sits and how completely sovereign he is. Today, we conclude our look at God's majesty and sovereignty and divinity, and we move to looking at how he condescended to tabernacle among men. Truly, Jesus Christ was both God and man, and therein lies our only hope of salvation. When the great other became our brother, this was the only way that sin could be put away. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Who is this that comes from Lord with this counselors and notice verse 14 with whom took he counsel and who instructed him who who instructed him that literally means who made him to understand and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding here's something else that we have that god doesn't have we have instructors we have teachers god has none i mean we've got many teachers right i mean i I have many instructors here and now. There are people I still go to um, for advice on the law. I've been practicing law for, shoot, it's been since 1993, whatever that is, nearly 30 years. And here I am still having to have instruction on the law, having to be taught in the law. You know, there are people I think that maybe feel like they can teach God. But they may find themselves like Job found himself at one point, And Job's friends found themselves. You know job kept saying now Job, don't get me i don't want to get off into job okay but uh job kept saying that uh there was uh uh, that he wanted to meet god he wanted to meet with god and he wanted to uh he wanted to be able to talk with god and he wanted to lay out his case before god he said hey boy i've got a i just want to i just want to put my case out there before him but i i want to tell you child of god job didn't have a case before god (laughs) not in and of himself uh, now, he had a case, but it was through his, you know, Job said there is no daysman, but Job was wrong about that. Daysman just means mediator. There is a mediator, the man Christ Jesus, but he just didn't know him by name. He still had a great hope that, that he said, my redeemer lives and, and he's going to call for me one day, but he didn't have all the knowledge he needed. And he got to the point where he was saying, oh, I just wish God would appear. Well, God did appear. You know what happened next? God began to ask him some questions. He said, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Tell me if you know. You know here, here's a man who thinks he can instruct God. So, Job, tell me about it. <laughs> you know what Job did after about 88 questions, I think it was. I'm not sure about that number, but it's somewhere in that, in that vicinity. He said, you know, I've spoken once, yea, twice have I spoken, but now I'm going to lay my hand on my mouth. You think you can instruct God? You think you can teach God? God needs no teachers He has no instructors. As a matter of fact, God has no equals. Remember what we read in verse 25? To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? There are no equals for God. As a matter of fact, back over in verse 15 here, he says, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket, and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. And he goes on to talk about Lebanon is not sufficient to burn and the beast sufficient for a burnt offering. Verse 17, all nations before him are as nothing and they are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. In other words, not even a whole nation of people can equal God. As a matter of fact, not all the people in all the nations can equal God. Not all the people in all the nations who have ever lived on the face of the earth Cannot come anywhere close to being God's equal. You know, why is that, you might ask? Well, let me just say this. In our institutions of higher learning today, one of the most insidious assaults upon God's people is the attempt to turn them away from the belief in the creation and to turn them towards the idea that somehow things that we see around us just came into existence somehow. Because, you see, if there is no creator, then man really is pretty much equal to everything out there. In fact, he's greater than, you know, most things out there. We're smarter than the animals. We're smarter than, you know, the rocks and things like that. We have the ability to, but, you know, to, to, enter, to think and to reason. But, uh, but, you see, the problem is this. The creator by definition, is greater than the, than the creation. Look in verse 12. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? In other words, uh, who is there out there that has done this? I mean, I, look at all the dust we have around us. I get, my wife gets so upset at all the dust. She gets just discouraged with the way the dust just comes. We live on a dirt road. It just comes in our house. It's everywhere. And, and you know, I don't even notice it. It's, it's, it's not near as bad as she thinks it is. But I know I'm not, you know, putting down the way she's thinking about it. I know it's a struggle for her. But but think about this. God knows every speck of dust in our house. And not only does he know every speck of dust in our house, he has meted out All the dust. He has comprehended all the dust of the earth in a measure. He knows exactly how many specks of dust there are on this earth. Can you imagine a God like that? You know why He knows it? Because He created it. In the beginning was the Word, John says, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then He goes on to tell us that everything was made by Him, and nothing was made without Him. He's the creator, and the creator, by definition, is greater than the creation. Remember what what Paul wrote in in Romans chapter 9 and verse 20? And talking about, by the way, the great doctrine of election and and some objections that people have to it. He said, Nay, but, O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say to him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? In other words, you don't even have a right to question God. He is so much different than you. He is so much greater than you. He is so much other than you. And we could go on and talk about His majesty and His power. We could talk about the fact that, you know, over in Psalm 115 and verse 2, it says, why does the heathen say, or wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? In other words, they're not sincerely inquiring as to where God is They're saying, "Oh, where's your God?" Just dismissing him, uh, being sarcastic. And the answer that's given there, but our God is in the heavens. He's done everything man will let him do. Is that what he says? Everything that man will. Now I know that there's things he requires us to do, brother buddy. Like brother buddy was preaching this morning, that uh, there are things that uh, that God will not. You know, he will not force you he did not absolutely predestinate you to do good or to do evil but I'll tell you this it tells me here that our God is in the heaven he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased that's a different God than what the the heathen believes in that's a different God. You know, some people make man their God. Some people make themselves their God. Sometimes I like to be my own God, don't you? Sometimes in the flesh I get to thinking I'm all there is to it, and I want my way. But, you know, I have yet to be able to do everything that I please. Brother Buddy was telling me about a little situation in his bathroom that he was trying to fix. Before it was over with it, he broken more than he fixed. But listen, Brother Buddy, I'm not making fun of you because I do it every time. Every time I go to fix something, I break more than I fix. I went the other day to fix something, and I made, I made, after I'd made the third trip to, uh, to the hardware store and back, I just gave up and called somebody to come fix it, you know? Because I'd, the more I tried to work, the more I broke it. See, I don't get to do everything I please. There's a lot of things that I do that I don't please. God, our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. We could go on and on about this. And remember, Jesus is one with his Father. He is this very God. He is clearly other than us, but praise God. Whereas by nature, he is other than us by incarnation. He became our brother. He became our brother. He is other by divine nature, but he is our brother by incarnation. And that's what I want to close out with tonight. Let's go back over to Hebrews chapter 2. In verse 10... It says it became him he's just told us that he was made a little lower than the angels not in power majesty or authority but in one particular aspect in that he could suffer death. He says he was made little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. The angels are not they don't suffer death but Christ was made a little lower in that he could suffer death, for it became him, verse 10, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, referring us to the fact that he is the great other, he is other than us, he is greater than us. But notice what it became this great God to do, what it became him. In other words, it pleased him to do this, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering, through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth and they that are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Look at what happened. Now here's here's, here's the issue. Here's the issue. As our brother, he is our eternal Savior. But he had to become our brother in order to be our eternal Savior. Because, see, God could redeem, but he could not die. Man could die, but he could not redeem. And therefore, God became man that he might do both. As man, see, the incarnation is key to our understanding of eternal salvation. The Gnostics of the day of Paul and the day of John and that tried to change everything up, they got it all wrong. They said God could never become flesh. He was just strictly spirit. He just looked like a man or he just inhabited the body of a man and he didn't really die because all matter is bad, all all the physical world is bad and he couldn't be part of that and he couldn't die. Praise God, our God did die. Praise God he did become a man. He became a man so that he could suffer death for every single one of his children. You know, we're told in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22 that without shedding of blood there's no remission of sins. God in the heavens if he'd stayed there in the throne room and never condescended to be Conceived in the womb of Mary and to be born in that stable in Bethlehem he could never shed blood to put away sins. And you know by the way that was the hardest job God ever did. Now understand what I'm saying here. You know he created this universe. You know how he created it? He just spoke it. He said let there be light. And there was light. Let there be cattle. Let there be fish. Let there be All these things, he just spoke it. We're told that the stars are his finger work, you know. He just kind of cast them out there. We're told, and I believe it's Isaiah 52, he said that he bared his holy arm. In other words, he rolled up his sleeves. And he got down and dirty with his creation. Now, I don't mean dirty by sin, but I mean dirtied by the fact that he had to walk the dirty roads of this graveyard earth as a man. He couldn't sit up in heaven and stay there and snap his fingers and put away sin and still be God because a holy God requires a sacrifice and the sacrifice has to be holy because he could not have a marred sacrifice. That's what all of those lambs were. That's what all those sheep were. That's what all those goats were. Is They, were, they had to be without blemish. Now, they weren't perfectly without blemish, but they, didn't have, they had to have no obvious blemish. They were still just creation, but they were not to put away sins. As Brother Buddy mentioned this morning, they didn't actually put away sin. They didn't roll sin forward, but they reminded us that sin had to be put away. That's what they did. In them, we're told elsewhere in Hebrews, in them was a remembrance of sin. A reminder that you and I are sinners. That's what those Jews needed. They needed to be visibly reminded that you're a sinner and you need a Savior when Christ came as a man when he was born of mary as a man as a child a real man he became that perfect sacrifice you see i I say this all the time because i really it blows my mind when i really get to thinking about it you say preacher was he half man half god was he you know what part was man what part some people try i've heard some theologians try to differentiate well this was when he was acting as a man this was when he was listen I can't differentiate. I can't, I can't dissect all that. I can just tell you that he was fully man and fully God. Amen. You know, he was as I've heard it said, he was so much man as if he were not God at all, and he was so much God as if he were not man at all. That's the best I can do, beloved. But I believe that because, you see, by becoming our brother, he became our eternal Savior. He is our eternal Savior. And I love the fact, verse 12, he says, he says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Will I sing praise unto thee? And he says again in verse 13, behold I and the children which God hath given me. <laughs> he is, it says in verse uh, 11, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. We all have family that maybe we're a little bit ashamed of. <laughs> you know, There may be some of my family that's ashamed of me, brother buddy. <laughs> Uh, but uh, you ever had family members miss- uh, well, yeah, I'm kin to that person, but I don't want anybody to know it. Well, think about Jesus. He's related to the most sorry, low-down, dirty sinners that there ever have been. Every single one of his children is a broken, undone sinner. Maybe you hadn't robbed a bank, but you've coveted what's in it. Maybe you haven't murdered anybody, but you've hated your brother without a cause. Maybe you have done some of those things. But whatever it is within us, Paul says, In me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And yet Christ is not ashamed to call us brethren. Isn't that amazing? You know what we're told in Deuteronomy chapter 32? That Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. In other words, uh, what he's saying, he says the Lord's portion is his people, and Jacob is a lot of his inheritance. You know, we think a lot of times about the inheritance we're going to have in heaven, but what about Christ's inheritance? We are his inheritance. Now I'm going to tell you if. <laughs> If, if, if the will were being read on my father's estate and, and uh, you know that Tim's my only brother, if, if the will was being read in my father's estate and, and the will got opened up and said, okay, Chris, here's your inheritance. You get Tim. I'd be, oh no, I got I I got the short end of the stick on that one, you know. Now he'd probably feel the same way about me, but, but my point is, think about what he's getting there. If you look at your life and you see how sinful you are, if you look at yourself in the mirror and you see what a sinner and how sin-cursed you are, and think about the fact that even this very day, this is the Lord's day, Brother Craig, this is the day that we're supposed to be focused upon him, and I've already can name you 10 or 15 or 20 sins I've committed and i've committed so many more that i that i don't even remember and yet he's not ashamed to call me brother now now understand this it's not in my sins that he sees me see when i see me i see me still in my sins when christ sees me you know what he sees he sees those Scars in his hands. He sees that. That ribbon side. That, where the spear was thrust into his side. And he remembers. I bought that one. Yeah he's a sinner. He still messes up. But I paid for every single one of them. He couldn't do that. And stay in heaven. He couldn't do that. And continued to just be the divine. He had to become human. And that's what he says here. He says for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. He also himself likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. You see, he didn't take on himself the nature of angels, but he took on himself the seed of Abraham. He became like unto me. Now, Not in my sin nature. He had no sin nature. Not in the the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that afflicts me. He came down and he fulfilled the law to a jot and to a tittle. And he loves me. And I am his portion. And he is my eternal savior. And it's even better than that. Because I know one day we're going to be with him in perfection. And there's going to be no pain or sorrow or suffering. No arthritis. No diabetes. No obesity. No, no struggles with, with mental illness or struggles with Problems in the family or problems at work or problems in, in, in your uh, social life. It's no, no self-esteem issues, nothing like that. All the stuff that we all struggle with is going to be gone one day. But right now, we're still struggling with it. Right now, we still are feeling it. And so, you know, it's important that we understand that our eternal redemption has been accomplished on the cross. But David said, I had fainted if I had not thought to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And here's the point, beloved. He is our eternal Savior. But because He is is our brother, He is also our timely deliverer. He's the one we can look to now. He's taken care of our eternity by Himself. He's taken care of our eternity completely forever and ever. Amen. But we need deliverance here and now from time to time. Notice what He says in verse 17. Wherefore, in all things it behooved Him to be made like unto Him, his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. You see, I tend to be one of those people that gets to, feeling sorry for myself, <laughs> thinking that, that, I guess the theme song of my life is probably nobody knows the trouble I've seen, you know, it's, you may think you've got it bad, but you just don't know what I've been dealing with, you know, it's just, that, that's the way I unfortunately tend to approach life, I, I'm not a glass half full kind of guy, I'm a glass half emptier, and, and there's a hole in the bottom kind of guy, you know. That's kind of, kind of the way I approach things. My brother's different. My brother's the opposite. He's a real optimistic, you know, makes me so mad sometimes. But anyway, he, uh, he uh, but you see, sometimes I get to thinking I'm, I'm alone in all this. But you know what he tell, what Paul told those Corinthians over there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13? He said, I, I, know, I know you think you're alone over here. She said, but there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Now, so first of all, just understand, you may think nobody else is going through what you're going through. You, you may look over there at this group, this family, and say, oh, they got it all, all together. They you know they got it all. You know, you look, I was talking to somebody not too long ago, actually. Uh, and uh, she said, you know, all these years I've been thinking that everybody else in the church had it all together, but I begun to suspect that they've got the same kind of problems I got. I said, amen. That's exactly right. That is exactly what I've been trying to tell everybody for nearly 12 11, 12 years now. But, uh, my, but you see, he said, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. Now, you may say, okay, you know, we always try to help people out, right? We say, hey, it could be worse. <laughs> Think about how not comforting that can be sometimes. I mean, and I understand, I understand that we do need to be thankful that we have it as good as we have it because we don't deserve to have it as good as we have it. But, but here's my, my problem with that is what if you are that guy for whom it's not. it can't get any worse? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like a pyramid scheme. You get down to the bottom. Eventually, there's that one person that said, well, you know, it could be worse. And then you look at it and say, well, no, it can't be any worse than what you've got <laughs> But you see, here's the thing. There may be others out there that don't have it as bad as you do. But there was one who had it worse than you'll ever know, than you'll ever experience. You see, and that temptation, that trial, that struggle is common to man. And if it's not common among your friends and among your congregation, I'll tell you what, who you do have it in common with, the Lord Jesus Christ. You have it in common with him. So nothing we go through, there's nothing we go through that he has not already experienced, multiplied to the nth degree. He suffered being tempted. See Matthew chapter 4. He suffered all these indignities. He suffered the loss of every single friend he has. You may say, well, I'm forsaken of all my friends. Well, you really aren't. He was And on the cross, he was forsaken by his father in some sense. I can't even describe that, Brother Craig, but there's a way. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He turned his back on him. or There was a separation there because of the sin he was bearing. But there's a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. And this is the friend I'm preaching to you about tonight. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You know why he can do that? For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or to help them that are tempted. You see, when the other became our brother, that gave us hope that we wouldn't otherwise have. The great otherness of God became married, became melded to the humanity of man. And by doing that, he put away the sins of his people, and he is now a timely deliverer, not just eternal, but every day we can look to him because he knows what we're going through like no one else does. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church Podcast.